Inside the Adventure, episode number 49 with Jess Nebstad. If you've ever been afraid to step outside your comfort zone, then you're in the right place. Inside the Adventure features incredible athletes and everyday people sharing their epic stories of pushing life to its limits. Get ready to be inspired, face your fears, and take action with your host, Marshall Mosier. What's up, guys, and welcome to another episode of Inside the Adventure. This is your host, Marshall Mosher, and today we're going to hear the story of Jess Nebstad. Jess is the former vice president of Nestle with over 30 years in business development and marketing experience, who, after receiving an unexpected severance from Nestle, jumped on the opportunity to get into the world of small business in a way that let him combine his passion for the outdoors with his experience in business. In September of 2016, Jess and his business partner, Ned Becker, had the opportunity to combine his passion for coffee and the outdoors and purchased Planetary Design in Missoula, Montana, a company dedicated to the pursuit of the perfect backcountry coffee. Jess had been dreaming about taking an opportunity to do this for many years while he was working at Nestle, and when he finally got the opportunity, Jess tells the story of how he jumped on the chance to make his dreams a reality. I grew up in Montana. I grew up on a, in a small community, 7,500 uh, folks, and uh, really kind of grew up on the back of a horse. Uh, we owned a ranch, and then uh, uh, father was my stepfather was a brand inspector, so I spent a lot of weekends going to really large ranches and doing brandings and such. Uh, then along the way, I fell in love with basketball and kind of became a small-town athlete, but really grew up in a town that was really very community driven and you know everybody and and uh, spent a lot of time riding around your bike or your horse or goofing off uh got out of high school and I didn't venture too far I just went over the mountain to Bozeman Montana with MSU and studied business at MSU and graduated and in the middle of the 80s the economy is not like it is today and there wasn't a lot of opportunities maybe in uh, Montana so most of my friends and myself all Left to the big city, whether it was Seattle or L.A., and I and I had gone moved off to Los Angeles to try to make my way. So when you mentioned you got into basketball, I hear you can do a behind the back dunk. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, I think that was pretty. Uh, at the time, there wasn't a lot of people dunking, and then uh, I'm only six feet tall, and uh, we had a really forward thinking basketball coach in those days. I mean, today everybody's. Uh, definitely much better trained, but back in the 80s, and he was very much into physical conditioning and the right types of exercises. And um, before I knew it, I could dunk a basketball behind my head, and I'm six feet tall. So it was a lot of fun back then. And, you know, you'd surprise a lot of people when they see you. We got to link a video of that into the show notes. Or <laughs> <laughs> I'll get you a video. I've got a couple of good pictures. But the fun story was uh, I was his first, I was one of his first classes. And by the time he'd put the program in for three or four years, um, the kids might range from 5'7 to 6'2, not big kids, but like the classes behind me, everybody could dunk. So it was, I mean, a really, for the time, an unbelievable uh, uh, strength and conditioning program. And I later coached high school basketball and I tried putting it in and parents actually complained that it was too hard. So I... 
as a coach, I had to back the program off that I had done as a kid, not saying life was harder or tougher, but, um, definitely a great program. And his both of his boys went on to play division one basketball and they could jump out of the gym. They have videos everywhere. His two sons that I played basketball with, they could, I mean, I thought I could jump, but not compared to those two fellows. <laughs> <laughs> when did you start playing basketball? I started maybe seventh grade playing basketball and playing basketball in Montana is a little hard because you got to do a lot of shoveling the sidewalks to play and play in the snow and play in the wind. But um, this was a great sport. I don't know if somehow it appealed to my competitive spirit. With um, with all the uh, kind of the freedom growing up in Montana uh, with kind of horseback riding and, and kind of all the open land, uh, what else did you do to kind of uh, uh, express that athleticism growing up as well? Oh, well, I, I think enjoyed the outdoors. Like we'd get on our bikes with a backpack and these are not backpacks of today, but you'd get on with a steel frame, aluminum frame backpack and you would ride 20 miles to the campground and then carry a whole bunch of canned chili up a mountain and, you know, fly fish with a worm and whatever you could carry up. And I know we didn't drink enough water and I didn't, but somehow we managed to get it done. Um, and I, and uh, the rule was, hey, you got to be home before it's dark. And I think that freedom was really something I cherish is just getting out. And whether you ended up on a mountain or in a lake or in a creek, just know I got to be home by dark. And no matter what I was doing, it was okay. Just get home. And I sure wish today was that way that everybody could just say, hey, be home by dark and go explore. Because I think you discover, you enjoy, you really learn to appreciate um, your surroundings by doing that. I know you have a ton of stories, uh, but were there any particular ones of things you guys might have gotten into back in the day that really stood out to you? Oh, <laughs> I think, uh, well, we grew up on the Yellowstone River, which is a world-famous river for fishing and everything, but we didn't particularly fish. But for PE, we would cross walk across our high school parking lot, and we learned how to fly fish in PE, which I thought was really cool. And they also took our whole PE class trap shooting so i you know go up to a trap range and you got 20 kids and a lot of them never had a little gun and we're shooting 12 gauge shotgun shooting trap and i tell that story a lot in california because you know with the gun scares and where we are today in the world it was just kind of a different experience and many times uh, i'd go to school with my truck and i'd have a, my hunting rifle in the truck and um you know or what are you going to do after school i'm going to go sneak in a two-hour hunt before it's dark and your guns out in your car and off you go. And, and I, and I just wish we were at that time because it was uh, a lot of fun just to be able to just go and do something and experience something. But it probably that's kind of freedom has made me the biggest story. How did that influence uh, what you wanted to do with, uh, with kind of your future, with what you were studying in school and what you ended up going into that mindset and that freedom you had as a child? I, I wish I was that I had that kind of vision, but I, for some reason in my head, I, I had, I had this, and especially through colleges, I just wanted to have a, get a briefcase, not a backpack, but a briefcase and hop on a plane and go do deals. That was really what was my drive. I just love the idea of going and meeting people and figuring out a way to do business. And, um, I remember graduating from college and saying, gosh, I just want to get on a plane and go do deals. And then after 30 years of getting on a plane and going and do deals, what was I thinking? But I think the maybe if you connect the freedom and the adventure and wanting to go see the world, uh, go meet new people and just discover, I think, is maybe the connection of 
how that impacted me is I just wanted to go. I didn't want to be maybe not stuck in a building, but, you know, relegated to maybe being an accountant in, in a building. I wanted to be the guy that was out trying to find and explore maybe is the simplest connection I could make. Do you think it was that lifestyle of travel and constantly having new experiences, meeting new people? That was what was initially so exciting about that? I, I, I think so for sure. And I think the thing I'd add to that was uh, the, uh, with the freedom we had, there was no bars on who you would meet or what you'd meet. And I remember as a kid, we'd be so lacking of activities. We would go to the rest homes and just visit elderly people because we wanted to meet new people. And I think, just some way I just love meeting new people. Everybody has something to offer you. Everybody has a story that's great. And, uh, and then I always like the competitiveness of doing business, you know, can we get something done? Can we do something that nobody's done? And I get to meet a new person like yourself and enjoy visiting and meeting people and hearing their story. So I think all of that connects, even though you might not think it's connecting, but it shows up in your life as you look back on it. Maybe. Exactly. Tell us a little bit, a little bit more <laughs> about your first job right out of college what that was like first job out of college uh i during college i put myself through school doing lots of different things but the last job i did i worked in a car dealership and i went to los angeles to work for a very very large honda dealership uh that was the number one honda dealer in the country and i was working in their parts department um and i you know i just had to go get a job and you got to start paying off your student loans and doing those things and uh, it just really was a connection. And I, and for me, I had never really interviewed, never really had done that any time in my life. Cause I always grew up in a place that everybody knew that, Hey, Jess might need a job Call Jess. He'll come do it. Or it always was my network that, and it was my network that got me my job after college. Then the guy said, Hey, why don't you come down and live in LA and give it a go. And, um, and I tried the car dealership thing for about three months and just it wasn't me. <laughs> so the first job was not a very long job, but I was glad that I at least had the courage to say, oh, I can tell already this is not me. And I felt so bad about quitting and moving on because I was never a quitter, but I was like, this job and me are not, I couldn't, I couldn't stand just standing there waiting and waiting and hoping somebody might come in and need some help. I just, I may be a little more uh, aggressive or adventuresome and I wanted to go find opportunities and another connection through the church I was attending, a guy says, uh, that's probably my favorite story. He says, uh, I'm standing next to him in the restroom, and men do talk to each other in the restroom. And he says, hey, would you come help me install a donut shop over the weekend? And I said, sure, I'll come help you. And I didn't really know him, but I knew his name. And um, I went out and installed a donut shop with him. And by the time I was done with a weekend with him, a really wonderful gentleman who I can still consider a great mentor in my life. He's passed away last year, but um, he said, I want to hire you. And so that went right into the next job. And next thing I know, I was doing restaurant designs and installation and selling equipment and, and that no, no formal training, but I got to go out and uh, pursue all of the restaurant chains and do build restaurants. And I never done him, but a uh, gentleman, um, liked me and I, you know, really admired him and we had a great relationship and, and I'm in the food business now. So that's 1987. So now I've been in the food business 30 years. And that was your first, first foray into the food business. First foray into the food business. And I didn't know, a I didn't know a stove from a microwave, but, uh, you know, God bless an entrepreneur who said, Hey, you look like you're 
a good hard worker and you've got some energy and you want to do something, come and, uh, that's how I got in the food business. What was it like being thrown into an industry that you had no experience with and just trying to figure it out along the way? I, I and I and I think that Marshall, that's a very good term thrown into it. Because I, I he looked at me and he says, Here's a whole stack of catalogs, and here's the drawings the architect drew. He says, Every every piece of equipment that's on that drawing is in those catalogs. You just need to find it and then you need to price it, figure out how much it's gonna cost to install. And I'll see you next week, you know. And so it was really just uh, learn by fire and and a part of willing to just take something on and go try it. And before you know, you've picked it up and you're enjoying it. And um, more than anything, though, more than I fell in love with the business, I liked the small business. And I liked his uh, um, mindset that we'll figure it out. Um, we're all helping each other and we'll all get it done. And I just think it was a great – and we'll do it the right way. We'll do it ethically. We'll do it um, – you know, we'll do it the way that we want to do, and we would do business. And I loved all of his uh, business um, ethics. And, it, and they were in his personal life as well, but how he took his personal life and, and his ethic mode and put it into business, and it was a great place to grow and explore and be safe, too. Was that the first time you really had exposure from a working standpoint of combining uh, ethics with business at the same time, and what impact did that have on you? Well, you know, Montana, when I grew up there, I mean, it was, you, you made all your money by your back and my, you know, when you're a young kid, you're either throwing hay bales or you're in the lumber mill or you're shoveling asphalt, all of those jobs that I did. Um, so it was the first time really that I had a job where I was really using my mind and creating, creating or solving real problems. Um, so that part, I, it was real exciting to say, all right. And it was a lot easier <laughs> than shoveling, shoveling asphalt all day. So Definitely. I like that part. <laughs> How did you go from that job into your first uh, job at Nestle? I bounced a couple times, but I worked for uh, John Kiyoshin was his name. I should never not tell a story without giving him credit. But worked for John for about three years, and he knew I wanted to start my own company. And I had an opportunity to buy a, a food processing company at the young age of 27, uh, in Colorado. So I went up and I ran a new company for a couple of years up there, built, you know, kind of got it fixed. I wouldn't say I built it up anything, but I built it to a point where it was viable. And the two, couple older partners that I had, we sold it. And I had read a newspaper article about another company that was making uh, kiosks and carts. So like when everybody was coming out with a coffee cart or a food truck and I said, well, I know I can do that. I called them and I went to work for them. And the long story to that is that one of my customers in that, uh, while I was working for that manufacturer, was Nestle. And so I called on Nestle for two and a half years trying to sell them stuff. And um, the, there's a good learning in that was that uh, I called on them for two and a half years. And I and I was very frustrated because I couldn't get a deal. And I'd lost the last deal and I was pretty competitive about it. And I called the buyer and I said, do you mind if I go out and look at the finished job? Because I want to know why I'm not winning. And he says, no, sure, go ahead. She actually said, go ahead and look. And I went out to the job site and I said, I'm not going to, you know, uh, badmouth your, your, uh, the company that you went with, but I'm going to tell you the health department's going to come here and you're going to have A through Z issues and here they are and here's how you're going to need to fix them and address them. And then the quote that I gave you, I had included all of that. And, I, and now I know why I'm missing the mark. 
And I was professional, but I was, you know, I was there to be an asset and hoping that the next job I would have a better opportunity to win. And this was on a Friday. On Monday, the gal, the buyer from, uh, her name was Ruth, called me and she said, would you come down to Nestle? And I went down on a Monday and uh, not looking for a job. And by Thursday, I was in New Orleans working for Nestle (laughs) with, with a blank company credit card. And in three days, I was working for Nestle, and uh, it was just, you know, it was just doing the right thing. Back to the the ethics that I learned from my first job uh, from John was just doing the right thing and always uh, being conscientious and you know being you know always just trying to add value wherever you are. And ex- three days later or four days later, I'm you know working for Nestle. My wife was scratching her head like, "What are we doing?" But uh, and I thought I'd work at Nestle. I think Marshall, you and I spoke about it the other day. And I went in there thinking, all right, I'll go work for Nestle for a couple of years and learn real big corporate experience and go do something else. And uh, thought I'd be there three or four years. And I was there 18 years. Really enjoyed the learnings that I got from Nestle. What was it like going from such a small, agile, more of a startup type company into such a big company like Nestle? Well, there's a lot of shocks, but I, I remember sitting at my my desk at Nestle and then started to figure out just how big the company I now worked for. Because I really had never researched Nestle and to understand how large they were. I was just trying to sell one part, one one small buyer, one small piece. And then I, um, uh, you know, and I even found out I was pronouncing Nestle wrong. I was pronouncing it Nestle's. <laughs> Somebody goes, hey, they still give you a job, even though you're, yeah, you need to know how to say the company's name, but, uh, I'd find out just how large, I mean, they're a worldwide company with hundreds of thousands of employees and hundreds of, you know, over a hundred billion dollars of revenue and to sit there, uh, humbly and realize, you know, oh my gosh, I work for a pretty darn big company, but, uh, the, the policies, the structure, the processes were really good learning. Cause if, you know, if you're a small entrepreneur company, you're, you know, you're doing everything lots of times on the fly, you're fixing and you're 100 miles an hour. But to really understand there is a reason for structure, there's a reason for processes. And if you can get those in there and they're not hindering growth, but they're helping growth, I, you know, all all good learning. And um, in the 18 years I was with Nestle, I was very fortunate to be in many, many, many departments. And that's also a benefit of a big company. I was in new business development, operations, marketing, sales. And that part was invaluable for what turned out to be chapters I didn't even know I was going to be writing in my life later. How old were you when you started at Nestle? Uh, mathematically, uh, 95. So I would have been 32 when I started. And when you first started, um, I think we talked about this a little bit yesterday, but was the mindset to say, hey, I'm going to go out and I'm going to learn as much as I can about working in a bigger company and then take those skill sets and bring them back to another startup or something you'd run? Yeah. And and I mean, my real thought was, and I had looked for venture capital before and I would meet guys that, you know, and groups and firms that had money and we'd get through and they would, you know, usually most cases think I was an all right guy and had a pretty good talent, but they'd always say to me, you don't have corporate experience. And they wanted me to get corporate experience. And I always had that playing in the back of my mind. And I said, well, I'll go to Nestle, get this great corporate experience I'll stay three years, four years tops, and I'll jump out and I'll say, all right, guys, I went and got that experience. And I use the term guys, but whoever, I, you know, venture firms, um, 
I did what you told me to. I went and got the experience and I had two or three jobs at Nestle and, and I'm ready to go. And before I blinked, I was there 18 years, uh, as I've shared already, but, uh, just a great journey for sure. How did that happen of going from that mindset of saying that I'm going to go and get this corporate experience that these VCs are wanting me to have and then end up, um, staying for, for much longer than that? Well, it was, you know, I, and I think when you're young, 32 and my mind's still pretty young and you think, uh, well, I just need to learn this one little part of business and I've got it all. And then I realized how little I had, I mean, I needed to fill in some real skill set areas. I need, and I mean, I've told this many times, I really understood from at Nestle, I mean, the processes and stuff and understanding how important logistics are, but the one biggest takeaway I took away was how important brand is and how, I mean, owning and managing your brand is so critical. And I would tell you that I didn't have any clue about that going into Nestle. So you did some incredible jobs. You did a lot of different jobs at Nestle and you, you did them very, very well. Uh, and then all of a sudden um, Nestle comes to you and has this, this decision that surprised you. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, uh, <laughs> you you kind of get the sense it's it's a real aggressive business model and it's probably that way in a lot of really publicly traded company and um you know you start at 30s by the time you've been there 20 years you're 50 and uh they they really appreciate young guns they want people that uh you know can maybe work 20 hours a day and when you're 50 maybe you're not working 16 hours a day but it was a it was a mindset that um you know uh Eventually, you know, you're going to tap out on age because you're going to get older and then you also get more expensive. And bottom line is you do get more expensive because if and they treat you very well. And then, and I never would uh, not say that I was wonderfully treated at the company, but you you keep climbing the corporate ladder. And then if every year they give you a little bit more raise, then the next year, the little more raise gets eventually you get to be a pretty expensive asset. And so then they sit there and go, well, we could get two guys for that guy. The next thing you know, there's they have hired two guys, and you're the one guy. And I got a wonderful uh, exit package, and it was really, you know, life was good sometimes where the timing was right. That I knew that I was, I, I say this simplistically, that I was tired of Nestle, and Nestle might have been tired of me. And you just, you do get. I mean, you've been working at it really hard for 18 years and putting your, you know, putting your heart and soul in it, and. And, um, they also get to the point where they want some new mindsets and maybe somebody with some new critical skills that I might not have possessed. And so the timing couldn't have been perfect. And I also, I shared this too with you, Mar I said, Marshall, I said, uh, the last four or five years in Nestle, I really was, the bug was in my, you know, the bug was on and I really wanted to go do something on my own again. And the golden handcuffs were there. And, um, five years later, they helped me with taking off the handcuffs and, giving me a good swift kick in the hiney and said, get out there and go do what you've been talking about and thinking about forever. And, uh, the timing was great. My wife was happy and I was happy to end it, put, you know, put the closing chapter on a great career in Nestle and go do something. So you, you have that happen. You walk outside the parking lot and you call your wife. What, what did you say? Well, I, I would try to give myself a little credit and say I was pretty smart. I knew it was probably coming. And so I was prepared and emotionally and mentally. And I also had been preparing financially and I've been prepared, excuse me, preparing uh, business-wise. I, I knew it was the time was coming. And so I was pretty well prepared. But your wife, you got young kids. Your wife was maybe not prepared. 
But I get in the parking lot and I did call my wife exactly like you said. And, and she said, where do you want to meet for lunch to celebrate? And her positive enthusiasm, whatever little doubt might have been in my head that this wasn't a great opportunity was gone. And I knew she was there to support me. And you got to have support. Everyone's got to be pulling the same direction if you're going to go jump into the entrepreneurial world. And uh, we met, had great lunch, celebrated. And I think with that was maybe like on a Wednesday. And by Friday, I'd already looked at two companies that were for sale. So uh, her confidence and then the urgency to, you know, it's time to go get something going. It was really there. So as someone who is been so incredibly supportive of you. She's probably heard uh, this bug to go out and start something new, been being vocalized over the course of, of several years. Um, what was the timing like uh, for, for both of y'all and how did that work out to, um, to use this as a launching point into what you've been wanting to do, what you've been talking about doing for so many years? Hey, you know, the best part I could say is that she was, she was there hundred percent of support. And I will tell you that she, she made sure I got up out of bed every day and went and did it. And uh, there was never any fear. And, and it was fun to have somebody in your corner say 100% of the time, I've got complete confidence in whatever you do, what it, wherever it is, you're going to be successful. And even as you, you, you feel like you've been successful in your career, it's great to have a cheerleader in your corner telling you that and reminding you that and giving you the confidence that, you know, uh, this is an opportunity. This isn't a a downside or a risk or a problem. This is an opportunity to do what you've said you wanted to do for the last five years. So quit complaining and go do it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's, that's, that's amazing. What, um, so you had already looked at two companies by the time the weekend came around. How did that whole process, um, you know, switch into launch mode of going out and doing what you had said you wanted to do, um, back when you talked to the VCs and they said you didn't have enough experience. It, it and I and I knew in my own self that I really wanted to just get going, get you know, change your thinking every day. Because every day for eighteen years, you got up and thought about how you're going to help your employer, and that, and I think that's important. If you're being employed by somebody, you should wake up every day thinking about how you can add value to your employer, and that's going to give you a successful long career. I I really just wanted to change my mindset that I all right, you got to go find the opportunity that fits you. And one of the things that I did, and I, I don't know if it's going to be the answer to your question, Marshall, but was I wrote down like 10 things that I wanted in my new job. So I wrote those down and I said, I want the new job, you know, to, to be X, Y, and Z. And everybody should have their own list because everybody's different and unique. And I said, now I'm going to go start looking and seeing and see what opportunities check off those boxes. And, you know, is the business, is that channel growing? Is it going to afford me the quality of life that I want? Can I get a ROI that I need on investment on time and a return on my investment. And, um, but I mean, really at the top of the list was quality of life. I got two young kids and a wife and I wanted to be able to, uh, not be flying all around the country on the whim. Hey Jess, we need you in Atlanta and I'm going to Atlanta in two minutes, you know? And so getting that list prepared and then just changing my mindset to being, all right, now you're going to go find an opportunity. And I went and looked at two businesses that I probably really didn't have a passion for, but it really was my way of engaging my my heart and my mind and everything into another chapter of my life. And by the following next week, I had already written a business plan and I ended up launching a uh, online vintage jewelry company. And I did that and got that going for two and a half years. And everyone goes, how did you do that that fast? And I said, well, I 
see the trends that young people today are not going to go into a jewelry store and they're really into eco-friendly and repurposed is cool. And so I, you know, it was checking off the box. I could work from home. I could, could have 1099 employees. I wouldn't own a big factory. So I, you know, went right down to some of those lists on my items and um, still have the jewelry company, but I'm also doing something else that how you and I met today. Right. right. And tell us a little, a little bit more about the um, kind of beginning story of how you got into that. So I'm running a jewelry company for a couple of years and uh, I'm sitting uh, last year, April or May at my desk and doing my, doing my thing. And a dear friend that I met at Nestle who had also left uh, was sitting in Missoula, Montana and says, there's a company here that's going to be for sale. And I can't think of anybody else to, you know, jump in and have fun with it than you, Jess. And uh, I said, well, I'm doing something, but I'm never going to say no to an opportunity. So send me the appropriate information, financials, products, et cetera. And uh, of course that happened. But I think the the learning out of that is, you know, you, you just you got to have a network. And I would tell anybody, young people today, I would tell older people today, build your network, let everybody know what you're doing, keep in touch with them more than just a Instagram or a tweet, but really reach out to people, meet them for lunch, talk to them. Uh, Cause you never know what opportunity could come up. And, and, and then my friend, Ned, uh, who's now my business partner on this opportunity was exactly right. It was much more aligned to my expertise, my passion. And selfishly I'm sitting in California. Now I have a chance to buy a business where I grew up and I can go home and uh, enjoy all of those things we talked about earlier. So all the things that, it, it seems like uh, to me hearing your your story of where you grew up and how important kind of all those adventures you had as a child were, did that relate into the um, the ability and the opportunity to buy this new company with its focus on the outdoors? And, and how did your skills in business kind of combine with those initial early days and traveling and adventure? You know, to say, I would go as bold to say it was a perfect fit. And, and I don't want to, you know, it wasn't perfect. There's there's bumps and bruises on the business uh, that we had the opportunity to purchase, but across the board, it was it was in the coffee business, which I just spent 18 years of my life in the coffee business. It was based in Montana, um, and I was going to be able to still live in California, get to Montana, enjoy everything that I loved about Montana, and um, not upset my home life where my kids are in high school. My parents are older in Montana, gave me a chance to check on check on them. Um, it was a company that really needed my skill set, and I'm telling you, within 48 hours, I'm slowly pushing jewelry aside, figuring out how to help uh, find some folks to help me with that business, and really just dive into this because uh, all of those skills that I would have been fortunate enough to learn in my career from entrepreneurial, you know, through the restaurant designs, through the operations of running a food grain processor to working at a big company with Nestle. And then even more than that, spending a lifetime meeting people in the coffee business, how that all helped make this so appealing. Um, you know, and uh, my number one cheerleader, my wife was standing there going, I think this is one you really need to do. So uh, that helped. What were your thoughts kind of going through your head when this opportunity came up? Uh you know, and I think when you look at a business, um, there's lots of thoughts to go through your head. You know, is it something you're going to be passionate about? That's obviously, you know, I, that was easy for me. Um, the next one really is, 
Does it have something that has either a point of difference that's pretty cool or even more important, did it have intellectual property? The buzzword is IP. Um, did it have IP that you could leverage and use to gain market share and maintain margins? So it company had great IP. Uh, I had product that was I was passionate about, outdoors and coffee, both of them, which uh, I'm a good coffee junkie and I like a great float trip or a horseback ride or whatever. Um and then the other thing is you got to know who you're going to do business with. And my friend, uh, Ned, and now partner, uh, called me on it. I trusted him explicitly. And he and I had spent 15 years trying to figure out how to do a deal together. But our timing was always off. And I finally got to go uh, do a business with somebody that I admired and respected. And and his complement of skills were good with mine. And it just, gosh darn it, you just get lucky once in a while. And it was nice to get lucky and find the right company. So with all the different things you've learned throughout business in so many different environments, uh, I know there were some hurdles you had to jump over with this opportunity. How did you address those and get past those and and constantly have the mindset that even with all my experience, I'm going to learn how to figure this out? Well, the fun part about, you know, either whether you're starting a business or buying a business, the, the old sages would say it's going to cost you twice as much and take twice as long. And then I think you should probably add another adage to that. There's going to be a lot more bumps than you think. It's it's not an interstate. It's a rutted gravel road. And you just got to expect it and plan on it. Um, this company offered a lot of unusual uh, circumstances with uh, a death in the, in, the, off the, in the board of directors. It really upset the whole paradigm. And uh, that kind of set a bunch of balls in motion. And, and then the... And then the company itself had had some successful products, but was having a real tough time operationally. And there was pretty good faction of uh, people running the company. So it offered a lot of unique um, things that maybe I didn't know how to solve. But I I think that the background that we've shared and talked about today said, hey, you're going to figure it out. And a good entrepreneur is just going to figure it out. And you're going to roll up your sleeves and get it done. And, and uh, I think the ability to be able to lean on your back, your past business experience and watch other people make decisions or figure things out. And then having the confidence and the support, knowing that uh, we're going to figure it out and we'll solve the problem really made it uh, all viable, but definitely more ruts in the road than I expected. Exactly. It's uh, it seems like no matter how many uh, years of experience or jobs you have, there's always new things that come up that you have to figure out along the way. Um, is that kind of the mindset that you've always had going through this? I, yeah, and, and you have, and I think if you really, uh, and I, you, I even catch myself, but you have to set your mindset that this isn't a problem, it's an opportunity. And if everything, every day you just sit there and you, I got three more problems to solve, it could wear you out. And if you could just shift your mindset a little bit to, all right, this is an opportunity that somehow in this opportunity, can we figure out a way to, we're going to have to solve it, but can we come out ahead or better off? And that keeps you going and you're not, you know, you're not being dragged by this is a problem. This is a problem and trying to really just change it just ever so slightly. And what is the opportunity here? We're going to have to fix this. But when we get out to the other end, will we be ahead? And can we make, uh, you know, make lemonade out of lemons more or less? And, and um, I had no idea how hard it was going to be. And I, and I didn't realize how much uh, problems it was going to be, but the whole way I was excited about the business, the whole way I was, and still I'm excited about the business. I'm excited about my partner. And I knew that there was a lot of runway for this business. And uh, you just had to just stick with it and get it done. And um, 
Even with all the bumps in the road right now, how does it compare to how you felt the four years before you left Nestle? It's energizing. And I, and I think, you know, I still got up and gave my employer, you know, what I could every day. But when you know you can jump out of bed and, and go uh, work on your own project, it's your own team, in some way maybe empower or help somebody on your team and really uh, give them a great work experience or life experience or just a personal experience with a good pat on the back or whatever you do. Um, and it's yours. And there is there is something about it's really yours. You know, uh, in a company, you might have your division or your product that you're managing but at the end of the day, for me, knowing that it's it's mine and those folks are depending on you to solve the problem for their livelihood and they're on your team and they want you to succeed so they succeed and vice versa. I want them to succeed because I know ultimately I can, uh, Ned and I can as well. Uh, it, it motivates you and it's never hard to get out of bed and get, get at it. I think it's probably the opposite. It's harder to go to sleep, <laughs> turn your mind off and not be thinking about uh what you get to do the next day and what you can try to go do for your company and your, and all your uh, wonderful team. Even with how hard it's been and all the things that have come up, what advice would you give to someone that might've been like yourself um, when you had the bug to want to go out and do your own thing and, um, and get started, even though that might be a scary jump to take. It is a scary jump. And I would never say that at points I wasn't scared. And uh, there were times that I was going to jump and didn't because Either I got scared or the opportunity wasn't, you know, didn't move me enough to make me make that leap. But I, I really think, even though I'm probably working twice as hard as I was four years ago, and even though I'm probably making a fifth of what I used to make, uh, I'm ultimately much more happy. And and I think the, the writing on the wall on that is, you know, call my wife or call my kids. And even though dad's working a lot harder, he's a lot more fun. He's a lot more energetic. Uh, easier to get along with. Uh, there's a kick in his step. And it really, you know, 50, what am I, 53 years old, it really put a kick back in my step and, um, you know, it energizes you. And, and again, you just got to have the mindset every day. I do anyway, and I would hope most folks could, is what's the opportunity to either help somebody or help your business? And, and um, the rest of it will take care of itself. In terms of a career, what do you think is the most important factor for personal satisfaction and happiness? Personal satisfaction and happiness. That's a big question. What I, I mean, if you're not excited about getting out of bed every day, then you really probably need to sit down and write a list, you know, what you think would be the dream job or the dream company. I mean, not everybody wants to own a company or maybe you don't have the financial wherewithal to own a company, but you really should find something – that checks off your eight to 10 lists of things that, uh, that you want in your life, whether it's quality of life or freedom or uh, spare time or money, you got to just, and you really got to do it. And, and time is short. I can tell you, you know, I didn't, I'm blinking and here I am, I'm 53. Uh, to do, to be in a job for more than a year that you don't like uh, is, is I would say is you, you just need to do something. There might be two or three months we really don't like any of our jobs, and we've all been there. But if in the collective whole for a year you look back and you didn't like your job, you need to go do something else, whether it's a job or a company. And, and I would encourage people because it's it's not about the money. Um, you know, we all got to eat. We all got to do what we have to do. But at the end of the day, if you can wake up every morning and go, just, man, I get to go shoot photos or I get to go help kids discover the wilderness. Or for me, more than selling 
French presses or coffee stores. I get to go meet new people and I get to help people. I always say help because I love to hear new people's stories. And if I can pass along a card or help somebody in some way, I get a lot of joy. But that's also building your network. But I truly enjoy helping others, young entrepreneurs, even people older than me that are trying to do something. I love uh, making connections. And um, and I think the business grows from that. And you might not see it that next day, but you people will be saying, oh, I, yeah, that Jess guy, he helped me meet this guy. Can I help you meet? And it's already happened here today at the Outdoor Retailer Show. Uh, the the, the uh, company right next to me brought somebody over and introduced me to him. And next thing you know, you're... You know, it's a great opportunity, but I it all. But earlier in the show, I gave her a referral. So it's you never know. And if you're selflessly just giving to others, life's going to bless you, and um, you're going to have a lot of fun, and you're going to you're not going to ever look back on with regret. You could go back and give a 25 year old version of yourself one piece of advice. What would it be? Uh, personally or professionally, if I was going to answer the question professionally. Um, it is it's your network no matter what you're doing it's your network and it's not who you know or what you know it's i mean it's not excuse me let's back up edit 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 it's not what you know it's who you know and i can tell you at 53 years old i've never really sent a resume anywhere and i've never really had a job interview and it's all been a network of people you know and keep in touch with people and build your network and you might not think that that um, that friend of yours that drives a bus is a is part of your network, but he really is. Or your your friend that's a park ranger, but everybody's your network. And if and if at one point you say, "Hey guys, if anybody knows about a business for sale, you have no idea where it comes from." Or does anybody you know? It's kind of like LinkedIn. Does anybody know who works for X? And that would be my professional advice to a twenty five year old: is build your network and and really enjoy it and enjoy the process of adding people to your network and give selflessly to that because you never know the payback. I'm sitting in my house, like I said last year and um, somebody in my network calls me and says, Hey, I found a company that I want to buy and I want you to be a part of it. That's, that's like the power of a network. Or we're going to tell somebody uh, personally in their life, um, take the initiative, um, do the, Take the initiative personally to do something for yourself, do something for others. And before somebody asks you to do something, if you've already done it, whether it's professionally or personally, um, you're going to feel better and they're going to go, wow, that's somebody that's thinking about either my business or others and you, you'll, you'll live, live a blessed life. What do you think is the most important component to the way you interact with people and the way you build your network? Don't do it selfishly. And enjoy it. And everybody has a story. And uh, I always giggle or joke about it. And my friends that I've known forever, you know, just it takes you two hours to go through a convenience store. Because I'll talk to the checker. I'll talk to the guy pumping the gas. I'll talk to anybody. And I enjoy. Because I everybody, and my wife has taught me that as well, And um, is that everybody has a story. Everybody wants to feel appreciated. And I know we're all looking at our phones. But boy, making an eye-to-eye contact with somebody and really asking them how they're doing, what do you do, and giving them encouragement, it, it just helps. And um, that's what I enjoy. That's so true. What do you think is the um, – uh, if, if you could 
leave one piece of advice, kind of one legacy throughout all the things that you've done, what would that be? I, I would hope my legacy would be I had a lot of fun. I would hope people say, you know, he knew he knew it wasn't brain surgery and he nobody was going to die and he always figured out a way to have fun and, and uh, he'd make a joke out of him. You know, self-depreciating humor is one of the great, if you can have that attribute, that helps to put a lot of people at ease. Had fun and, you, and putting it in perspective is that, you know, we might be trying to sell a, the world's greatest hammock, but at the end of the day, the world's not going to stop spinning if we don't get that hammock sold or, or for our case, what we we try to sell. And if if you realize that, you're not going to mistreat your teammates, you're not going to mistreat your employees, and you're not going to mistreat your family because life's bigger than you know what we do professionally in life. Uh, is short and uh, just try to enjoy it and uh, appreciate every day. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show and, and explaining and telling us your, your story and all the things you've gone through. I really appreciate it. And it's been fascinating to hear. Did we miss anything? I don't, geez, I don't I feel like I played my whole life out there. <laughs> yeah. No, no, that's uh, great. We could always add something in. If you want I, and I, uh, well, I would, the other thing I would say that people would say, so what, what was your master plan? Or how did you know where you were going to get? And because I relied 100% on my personal network for the next job, through high school, through college, through life, I never had a plan. And other than, hey, I thought I wanted to go do business deals all over the world. Um, But the part that being willing to accept whatever comes and um, to know that life's going to bring you a lot of things and you should look at everything and then just kind of take them as they come. But uh, I, I always tell everyone there's no plan. There was no plan that I wanted to end up. I mean, I always wanted to own my own company, but I didn't know it was going to be a wonderful outdoor company that's in coffee. But uh, but it's just be open for the opportunities and don't get caught up in a plan. And life's going to give you a lot of uh, doors, and you should open everyone and look and don't. Uh, don't always be no. And I, it's because every time you open the door, you learn something. Even if you never go through it, you're going to learn something or at least make a connection. Then 10 years from now, they might come back and say, Hey, I got another door. Do you want to look in that one? So that would be the thing is I don't, I never had a plan. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. I feel the same way. <laughs> I got no plan, <laughs> but, but I think, I feel like you and, and people like you and me, Jess are uh, definitely more, um, I think open to not knowing the future and jumping in and giving it um, you know, the best shot, whatever happens. But for someone who is really detail oriented, really plan oriented, likes making schedules, all, all of that kind of stuff that I'm probably not the best at, what mindset do you think helps you to push past the unknown of what might happen tomorrow or what might happen career wise and uh, just embrace the opportunities that come to you? We're, well, we're all individuals and we're all wired different and it would be hard to blanket statement for somebody. And I got more lists than I have lists for the list to remind myself what I got to go do and get done. And the business has a plan and I have a plan to do the business, but I never I wish I had a life plan other than I really wanted, you know, to and stay out West. I kind of had those types of plans, but I had no specific career plans, but for folks, you're going to have to, I, I think better the thing to say, stretch yourself. We all have different levels of comfort, different levels of risk. But the most, the times in my life where I learned the most or experienced the most was when I pushed myself. 
and did something that I didn't think I could do or I didn't want to do. Um, I give you a quick one. In, in, in 2005, I needed a break from life, corporate life, and I took a sabbatical and I rode my bicycle around the entire state of Montana. And I set it up like the Tour de France. And uh, so I mean, here's a 43-year-old guy that's uh, been sitting in a cubicle and flying on airplanes and eating bad food. And that's, I mean, that's a stretch to think you're going to go out there and ride 19 days, go over the Continental Divide twice, et cetera, et cetera. But I knew I needed to stretch myself and clear my head and get a, and hit the reset button on my life. And I did that. I went I planned the trip and took six weeks sabbatical from Nestle and rode my bike around the state of Montana. And there were days where I said, there's no way I can do another pedal stroke. But doing it, and then I go, all right, I got to just make it one more mile. Then I got to make it another mile because you're doing 100 miles a day. And then holy cow, the next morning you go, geez, I got to do another 100 miles. But finding out that you can stretch yourself and you can always do more than you think you can physically, mentally, spiritually. So we all have different comfort levels. And again, I just go back to push yourself because that's where the when you get to that outside edge you're going to experience life. And maybe that's why we have all these extreme sports and stuff. But for me, it was career wise. Yeah, I'll try that job. I've never done it, but let me try it. I've never run that type of company. Let me try it. Cause I knew I'd learn more in a window, short window than I would doing what I'd done in the past. So that would be my, I think that might be easier to blanket statement. You think there's a strong correlation between the pushing your limits on a physical standpoint of pushing one more pedal further when you can't think you can go any further to the idea of pushing yourself further in business as well. When something comes up and you feel like I can't get past this, is there, did one help the other? Oh, for sure. You know, and I don't want to be the old jock that says, you know, athletics is great, but I think it doesn't have to be a sport. Um, it can be whatever that is that you're, you're passionate about, but pushing yourself and learning to get past there in sports or outdoor activity or something like that. Uh, I share it with my children all the time is that if you learn to get past that goal of whatever that next goal, then you can set a higher goal. And I think business is very much like that. You, you know, I, I, I go back to my Nestle career. I, off the top of my head, I think four out of my five or six jobs in a short window, that job had never been there. And that, and I know that, creating my own job and doing that. They go, Hey, we need somebody needs to go to do this and raising your hand and saying, I'll go do it. Um, just the adventure I enjoyed, uh, we've discussed many times, but that was when I learned the most it was like, boom, you you're in it. Now you got to learn how to swim. You know, the old adage, throw them in the pool, let them learn how to swim. I think we all should do it. And I think sports, uh, and outdoors, you can really figure out, you know, these folks that can climb Mount Everest or whatever they can do. I'll guarantee you they can figure out how to solve and how to stock problem, right? They're, <laughs> they're going to have the mental toughness to sit in there and figure it out. And I do think it translates very well. Right. When you're on the top of Mount Everest and dealing with a storm coming in, it doesn't seem quite as hard anymore when you're in a, in a business <laughs> yeah. trying to figure out a, a problem. That's <laughs> I'm out of widgets. What's going to happen? Right. <laughs> you're going to solve the problem. Exactly. That's so true. Well, thanks so much for sharing your story with us, Jeff. Sure. I really I appreciate, appreciate it. I appreciate Excellent. you guys too. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to another episode of Inside the Adventure. That was the story of Jess Nepstadt, who I've got to say is one of the most genuinely nice people I have ever met. 
And he credits all of his success to the support and love of his wife. So if you're listening today, I just want to let you know how much of an impact on Jess you've made. If you or someone you know has your own adventure story and would like to be featured on the show, you can contact us by visiting vestigo.co slash podcast. While on our website, you can also listen to our past episodes and subscribe to the show. Remember, your next adventure is right around the corner. The only thing stopping you is you. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week on Inside the Adventure.